0: Hello, and welcome to the Faculty Chronicles, TFC, a podcast sponsored by the Turo Center on Excellence in Teaching and Learning and the Office of the Provost. Your TFC podcast hosts are me, Professor Gina Bardwell, and Dr. Elizabeth Uni. Across academic disciplines, Turo faculty are producing great work, and the Faculty Chronicles wants you to hear all about it. TFC podcasts will highlight faculty chatting about their favorite project in research, teaching, learning, science, medicine, technology, and so much more. So let's get busy building community, connection, and continuous conversation tour-wide. Our next Faculty Chronicle guest is on deck, waiting to chat. Hello, everyone.
1: Welcome to a new episode of the Faculty Chronicles. I'm Elizabeth Uni, Chair and Associate Professor with the Department of Social, Behavioral and Administrative Sciences at the Toronto College of Pharmacy in New York. Our guest for the day is Dr. Rebecca Edgeworth, Assistant Professor and Associate Medical Director with Toronto University, Nevada. Dr. Rebecca Edgeworth is an internal medicine physician who went to medical school at the University of South Florida School of Medicine, and she did her training in Las Vegas through the University of Nevada. She has worked exclusively in primary care of underserved and vulnerable populations as a volunteer, a medical director of a free clinic, and various other medical events in the Las Vegas Valley. Dr. Edgeworth has worked as a clinical adjunct faculty with Toro University in Nevada since 2012, And as a full time assistant professor since 2019. She leads the community outreach program for the Physician Assistant Studies at the Department of the College of Health and Human Services. As such, Dr. Edgeworth teaches our next generation of medical professionals the skills and compassion needed to provide excellent care to those populations who need the most help and have the least access to medical care, including uninsured immigrants homeless, and domestic violence victims. Welcome, Rebecca, to the show. Thank you for having me. So you won the Toro Presidential Award for service. So tell us a little bit about your work at Toro and maybe even how you reached Toro.
2: So, I came to toro from I was asked to teach for Toro to teach clinically when I was the medical director of a clinic, a free clinic for people who are uninsured. and I really enjoy teaching. I've taught um, medical students and residents and physician assistants. I very much enjoy teaching and I really enjoy community outreach. When I was given the chance to work full time for Toro, doing nothing but the things I love, which is teaching and community outreach, I jumped at the opportunity.
1: So can you tell us a little bit about your journey to Toro? Where did you develop this interest in underserved and vulnerable populations?
2: Well, my training was here in Las Vegas, and it's at the County Hospital at UMC. That is a lot of underserved populations. And I always just had an interest in not just the medical and medically complex cases. As an internist, I love people who have diabetes and hypertension and heart disease and and that sort of thing. I enjoy people as a puzzle, but I also really enjoyed all the different cultural differences that come together to really impact impact our health. So when I was at our program, the program here was very large, 76 residents in the program at a time in internal medicine. It was extremely diverse. So I first really got to learn a lot about cultural competence from my colleagues. I had a lot of colleagues that were from every continent you could think of and every country, some of which were practicing physicians in their country. And then they came here to do their residency and move to America. So I got to learn quite a bit about that. And then Las Vegas, in general is so incredibly diverse. We have lots of different populations that make up our patient pool, and that isn't even including the people who come to visit Las Vegas. So lots of different
1: things. Your practice or with your residency at the county hospital, you saw all these people. You also had different colleagues who came from different countries, so you got exposed to all those things, and then you became interested in serving this. Underserved and vulnerable population. But now that you're working at Toro Nevada, how are you being able to demonstrate all these barriers to care or barriers to access to your students? What are some of the strategies that you use so that our students are exposed to what happened with this population?
2: Well, in our program, when we teach the physician assistants and I'm sure in most programs, we try to expose them early to the concepts of implicit bias and how important it is to learn about different cultures. I tell my students that when I was a medical student myself, fortunately, it's much more common to teach about cultural competence now. I don't remember having formal training in that. But I I tell people that I really thought when I was a medical student that if I could speak every language, that I could talk anybody into doing anything. I really honestly thought that. And it turns out that you really need to understand Uh, You don't need to understand every nuance, and in fact, the word cultural competence suggests that there's a point at which you are competent, and that's not really the case. It's an ongoing process, and you're always learning more about your patients and intersectionality and all of the different things that come into cultural competence. But I let people know if you don't understand people's culture, if you don't understand where they're coming from, you won't understand their barriers and you really won't be a very effective practitioner because you're not going to be able to convince people to do things just by telling them to do so.
1: So, can you give us an example of a barrier to access or care for our non-medical listeners, an example of a barrier to care, and maybe an intervention that you'll use in order to overcome that barrier to care?
2: the state of nevada is we're we're doing much better but we are always on kind of the low list of people of access to care as far as how many practitioners we have so we deal with a lot of populations that have higher priorities than their medical care, unfortunately, such as where they're going to stay the night, where they're going to get their food, things like that. We have a rather large homeless population here in Las Vegas. And so for homeless populations, they very well qualify for Medicaid. They may even have a Medicaid card on them. But if we don't come to where they are, the likelihood of them accessing medical care is very low. And Typically, um, they will wait until a problem is a very big problem and then they'll access medical care by calling 911. So uh, some of our programs are with the mobile medical unit and also with going out with harm reduction teams. Uh, We go to the people. There's people who live here in unsheltered homeless. People live in tunnels here or in the desert or on the outskirts of town. And we literally bring our medical care to them and help them. Sometimes all we can do is some wound care, some really good advice, or tell people this is a serious problem or this could be a serious problem and you need to get more care. Sometimes just the access, the barrier of transportation, getting to where you need to be or accessing technology to make um, an appointment can be too much for some people.
1: So, which year of the PA students start going to the population, right? I think in the beginning, they are in the classrooms learning thing, and then at some point, they have to start their clinics. So at what point in their education, they start going to the people and start meeting them where they are? In the PA program, they
2: have about 18 months of didactic uh, lecture, and then there's a full year of... Twelve months of rotations. We start them very early uh, after their first trimester, their first session. We encourage them; don't require them to go out and do volunteer opportunities so they can start using the skills that they're learning right there and then. Vital signs and physical exam—they can start learning those right away as volunteers during didactics. They don't do it more than once a month, and there's people who choose to do it every month during the clinic year, um, just as there is a required internal medicine, family practice, OBGYN, pediatrics rotations, one of the required rotations we have is called community medicine, and that's where I have one whole month to teach the students about populations that they may not have a lot of access to during their normal life. Almost every single student goes through the program. Sometimes they do kind of a sort of an elective instead, but during my month with them, we we expose them to domestic violence uh, victims, uh, LGBTQ um, patients, we people struggling with substance use. We ha- take them to free clinics that for people who are uninsured. We expose them to a lot of different populations that they might not have had access to previously.
1: When you get these students, I think when someone is going to med school or a PA program this may not be on the top of their mind and so when they start your community medicine rotation and by the time they finish it how does their attitude or how does their uh, awareness of these issues change do you see a big jump in their attitude towards these people and their affinity in serving this kind of population
2: i absolutely do i i will say uh, it's interesting. We do a sort of an exit interview with people and ask people, why did you choose our program? Why did you choose Toro, Nevada? And um, people list academics first, but they list our community outreach as second. So the people coming into our program, we we're already choosing people who have an affinity towards helping the population and and helping people who really need need care. And I think that most students go into medical school and PA school thinking that they really want to help people and really want to be effective practitioners. So, I don't I can't talk people into loving their, their neighbor more. That's not really what uh, what I can do as a, as a professor. But as an educator, I can tell, I can teach people to be a little more compassionate. Instead of just seeing somebody who's all kinds of messed up when they show up in the emergency room and they're in a terrible situation medically, I can show them where they live. I can show them what their priorities are and how it is that people got to be where they are. And this may be the only chance they have to drive around and see these kinds of conditions. And these are really impactful experiences that I talked to people who graduated years ago, and they, they still remember these experiences. So I think it makes people, I would like to think more compassionate, but it certainly teaches people to be more effective as practitioners.
1: Awesome. I think it's such a beautiful service that uh, we are doing, our students, especially our healthcare students, seeing that and understanding what it is and, you know, some of the terms that you use, like implicit bias and cultural competence. So I want to go back to the cultural competence again. You, you touched on that a little bit and you said that uh, we need to be aware or be culturally competent to be effective practitioner. Can you give us some examples for our listeners about cultural competence? What is cultural competence?
2: Cultural competence, which has to start with addressing our own implicit bias. Cultural competence is, I think, just being the awareness that there are people that have different um, ideas and different uh, priorities and different ways of thinking about things. And I just think that if we're not aware, thinking ahead as to what people are motivated by will never be able to motivate them to take better care of themselves. And we should treat everyone with the same amount of compassion. We should treat people as though they're our family members with that much love and compassion. But if we don't meet people where they are, that's a lot of different things. And that really goes beyond just race and ethnicity. It goes towards what people were exposed to, um, what people find important. And so cultural competence isn't just being able to take care of uh, Ethiopian populations, which we have quite a Bit of in Las Vegas. It's also being able to take care of older folks or LGBTQ populations. Um, there's, there's just a lot of different cultural nuances that if we can just be open to being more proficient, uh, we'll be far, far better practitioners.
1: That's great. Awesome. Toro, we have other colleges than the healthcare. Of course, we have our DO program, health sciences program, pharmacy program. These are places where our faculty and students will be able to come out and maybe do the community rotation or work with your team as volunteers. But how can a regular Toro faculty member, right, not necessarily one in a healthcare school, how can they bring the need for cultural competence and sensitivity to their own classrooms? Can you give them some examples as to how they can impact their students on the need of cultural competence?
2: There's a lot of ways that people can talk about their own culture. And that's, we have a very diverse faculty. And that's where I learned a lot is talking to my colleagues and talking to people about their own culture and how that might impact healthcare, But. I think it also begins with uh, interprofessional education. We bringing together pharmacy, together with medicine, together with PA studies and OT and PT, we can learn a lot from each other that way as well. I think the students learn about hearing the same thing in different voices from different people's experience. I think there's a lot of opportunities I would also say that even during didactics, when it seems like cultural competence isn't at the forefront, I would say that there's subtle ways that we can include more information for students. And that might just be when we're coming up with clinical examples or social examples or even just slide decks that have what an African-American's disease process physically looks like. Uh, versus a lot of slide decks are really oriented towards showing pathology on white people, for example. And it's harder to find diseased pictures of people with different ethnicities, people of color. So I I think there's a lot of ways you can, being mindful of cultural competence when you're putting together even basic slides, I think goes a long way towards teaching people how important this is. We are very intentional at Toro University Nevada about having some a few large events each year. Most all of our students are really interested in doing community outreach. It brings us all together when we do large events. We do a large event each year called Project Homeless Connect, which we don't chair the event. It's chaired by a local organization, Nevada Homeless Alliance, but we chair the medical dental section um, at Toro. So we're able to bring together OT students, PA students, APM students, anyone who wants to participate comes, and it's a, it's a large one-day event. We encourage people to come and do what they do best. So OT is check people for their balance, and we address a lot of different needs in the community all at the same time at that event. We encourage as many people as want to participate. Even people in other colleges like education certainly have something to offer the population.
1: Great. Hopefully our listeners hearing to this can reach out to you and find out ways in which they can be a support to their own community because of course in New York and California we still have the same kind of population, the homeless population, the vulnerable population. It's, It's a lot in these two places too. Well, thank you so much, Rebecca, for talking to us today about your service in your community and teaching your students how to serve the community better and effective. And I think the one word that you kept saying, which is so meaningful, is meeting the patient where they are. It is so important. In fact, I think if every practitioner starts thinking like that, it can reduce the barrier to access and care to a great extent. Well, thank you so much for giving that idea in your heads. and talking to us about it. It was a pleasure having you with us. Thank you to our listeners. Uh, Wait for another episode of the Faculty Chronicles. Signing off is Elizabeth Romain.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the Faculty Chronicles, TFC, Turo's podcast featuring the projects and work of faculty throughout the Turo College and University system. TFC is sponsored by the Office of the Provost, and Kettle, the Center for Excellence in Teaching and Learning. We hope you like what you heard and will keep listening. So join us next time on The Faculty Chronicles as we highlight and share faculty achievements that build community, connection, and continuous conversation.